Welcome to episode 67 of the Minimalist Vegan Podcast. Hello, hello. My name is Michael and I'm joined by my wife, Marsha. Hi. Too much energy? <laughs> you sound like you're rounding up people. <laughs> yeah. Hello, hello. <laughs> like an auctioneer. Um, and on this podcast, we explore what it means to live with less stuff and more compassion. In this conversation, specifically, we're going to be talking about some lessons learned since becoming vegans. We just had our seven-year vegan anniversary and we didn't do anything. <laughs> I remembered in the evening. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think we had any wine or anything. You just remembered and then I'm like, yeah, no, no way. I think we did have half oh, a glass of wine. Each. Okay. I think that was just a Saturday routine though for us. <laughs> Not really. No? Okay. <laughs> we don't have wine often. <laughs> That's true. Like every few months. <laughs> You're probably right. But um, it did go by and I just thought, hang on. Let's let's pause there. There's a lot to reflect on, I think. Because you're such a reflector. I am a reflector. You need to bring it back around. I'm surprised you didn't pin me that evening and be like, okay, now. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have a deep and meaningful about our journey so far. That's true. But now we can. (laughs) You've brought it to the podcast. But no, we we don't... Like, we've both just made some notes of some things that we have learned since becoming vegan, some observations, some things that have impacted our lives, maybe some of our expectations before becoming vegan and how it's matched up since. And uh, we haven't shared our list and experiences with each other. So we haven't shared our notes. Yeah, we haven't shared our notes. So this could be could be interesting to see where it leads if you know how many of these lessons overlap and and which ones don't. But uh, look, before we get into this episode, we have just a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Warren, a brand that's by women for women. Warren is a Copenhagen company owned by two sisters, Arena and Anya Warren. They have a passion for life in this lowland and both share an enthusiasm for sustainable underwear and everyday essentials. They believe that most things can be fixed with a good attitude and some comfy clothes that don't compromise on style and feeling amazing. The last thing you want is your underwear riding up and the bra chafing or trying to suffocate you. I'm sure I'm not the only one that would normally take off my bra the second I'd walk in the door. Not with these ones. Their aim is to create lingerie that will be the first thing you want to put on and the last thing you want to take off. Warren don't use any toxic chemicals, dyes or metal wiring in their products. At the core of Warren, there's a strong respect for the people they work with and the environment they work within. We have a special offer for our listeners, giving you 15% off storewide using the discount code MINIMALISTVEGAN at checkout. This discount code is not to be used in conjunction with any other offer. To learn more about Warren and their full range, visit warrenstore.com. That's W-O-R-O-N-S-T-O-R-E dot com. Now on to the show. All right, Marsha. Are you ready? Are you ready for these lessons? Yes, I am. Now, look, do you want to go first? No, you can go first. I I can kick off? (laughs) No problem. Okay, so... The first lesson I've learned about myself in seven years being vegan is I don't have any cravings for animal products. Mm. Like none at all. None at all. In the seven years you've had none. In the look, maybe like cheese in the first year or two. But even then, I don't really think I ha- craved for it. I didn't walk past it in the supermarket or want to order it out. Like, I never had that motivation to consume animal products again. And, you know, I was a huge... And, you know, go back to episode one. We talk about our vegan uh, origin stories. But I was 
a pretty big meat eater. Not so much red meats, like I wasn't a huge lamb eater, I would eat it, but certainly before I became vegan, I was getting into big steaks uh, with gravy and, you know... Uh, <laughs> You should see my face right uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember the cuts of meat. I don't think meat. I've ever had steak with gravy in my life. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I just think I just got into, particularly there's a lot of cultural Australian influences around. Meat know, and three veg. Yeah, having meat and three <laughs> veg with gravy or some sort of sauce. And, you know, you go to a restaurant and that's typically served. But, yeah, I, I think I was getting quite heavily into that. Definitely loved a barbecue mm. and a kebab. And chicken, just lots and lots and lots and lots of chicken. And we've talked about this before, but we used to go through like cartons of eggs yeah, in a week. That was typically our breakfast, two eggs each, yeah. two to three eggs each, depending on the day. Tuna was also. Yeah, huge tuna eaters. Tuna, can of but, tuna. But haven't like, you know, we ate a lot of fish in my family, but like seriously no cravings. And and guys, I'm, I'm seriously like 2 a.m., in the morning, I mean, not that I go out, but even when I went out in the first couple of years when I was vegan, um, you know, I'd go out with friends, I'd be pretty drunk and they'll be like, don't worry, mate, you, you can you can have some meat. I won't tell anyone. I'm like, I don't want it. <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? It's like... There's always it's, that person that's like, it's just the two of you or just a small group and they're like, it's okay. Yeah. You will not be less of a human if you gave in and just ate it, you know, we won't tell anyone. Yeah. It's like, that's not the point. I know. But, <laughs> but on top of that, there wasn't the craving. Mm. It's not like my mouth not was like watering over their food. Yeah. Like it just, it just wasn't there. So that, that's surprising. Mm. If I sit back and reflect on it now, um, I don't know if I had expectations around it, but certainly considering how much I consumed... I would have thought that there would be more cravings. Yeah, I'm actually very impressed with you as to um, how little you've talked about it or like lack thereof, you know, in terms of wanting any of that. I've, I've had a few. Um, mm. Probably like foods that I used to enjoy, like traditional foods for me and my family like burek with ricotta cheese and sour cream on top. I used to eat quite a bit of yogurt when I was younger as well. And Greek yogurt was probably one of my favorites. I think it's just the consistency. And when you don't find a good replacement for it, it kind of makes you crave. I think it's more so the consistency than anything else Mm. of, you know, what you used to enjoy and like, don't try and tell me that coconut yogurt and soy yogurt are the same. They're not. Like, it's just not going <laughs> to It's not yeah. gonna cut it for me. But do you reckon you explicitly have a craving yeah. or have experienced a craving for those? Yeah. Like, okay. there are moments where I've had those cravings. Um, cheese, I mean, most vegans would say that cheese is probably the main thing that they would crave, right. if anything. That's kind of it. Like, not meat as such or... Eggs, not even eggs, but they've been more so the dairy stuff. Yeah. I've had cravings for like milk. I had milk in my coffee not that long ago, a few months ago. I accidentally drank it, didn't realize um, that they got my order wrong and it just tasted terrible. 
I think it was more of a psychological thing that it just made me start to feel a bit sick. But it tasted like a barn. Like it tasted, you know that smell when you Mm. walk into a barn? That's what it tasted like. Mm. And I was like, I don't know if my senses, like my taste buds have heightened and that's what I taste in, would taste in milk now. Mm. But obviously they've adapted a lot. So that's a really it's good just point. Interesting the how tasting. Much, yeah, your taste changes. Your even your senses, because mm. like once upon a time, the smell of bacon to me was like a euphoria. Mm. Now it's very off-putting, mm. and uh, that's just crazy to reflect on that. Yeah, uh, how much that's flipped around. Yeah, you know so. Uh, and you become a lot more sensitive to the smell of meat as well. Mm, like you um, walk into the supermarket and they've got, you know, their roasted chickens there. And yeah. I just find, and even raw, like the smell of raw meat has always been very Well, that's always me. been bad. But even yeah, cooked stuff, like roast chicken, still, I was like, oh, wow, that yeah. smells really good. Mm. Now it's like, oh, that's a bit off-putting. That's yeah. crazy. Mm. Cool. So, What's your next point? Well, that was like one of my points was talking about how much... My taste has changed. I didn't realize how much your taste buds would be sensitive to those things and how it would be completely different experience. Like I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast before and I've done a YouTube video on it. But when we went to Slovenia and I tried a traditional dessert that's made with custard and cream. And I said to Michael, it's the only one I'm going to, I'm not going to repeat it because all of you have probably heard it if you listen to our podcast regularly. Um, But he tasted, didn't taste nice to me. And it was really disappointing. And I felt bad because I like sacrificed the animals that had suffered for it. And it just, it didn't taste as good as I was expecting it to. So obviously even back then, you know, at that point we'd been vegan for like a year. My taste buds had already changed a lot. So yeah. um, it's interesting how that happens. I, I think to, to piggyback off that point that's closely related is I, I wrote down, lucky to have Marsha in my life. <laughs> um, for many reasons, but also for the vegan journey because when we became vegan in, what, 2014, we'd been dating for about six years and we had been living Just together. Over, yeah for probably half that time, three years, something like that. And in the time that we certainly lived together, you introduced me to a lot of new foods that I just you wouldn't find in my household yeah. prior to meeting you. It just wouldn't have happened. I'll give you some examples. It's like tofu, tempeh, mm-hmm. kale. Like I didn't know what kale was <laughs> before I met you. Mung beans, rocket. Like, really? Rocket? You didn't know what rocket was? M- I thought it's called salad. arugula. As arugula, well. right? My idea of salad was like iceberg lettuce. That that was my idea of salad, like lettuce and tomato. But your family gets salad mixes and stuff. Yeah, salad mixes, but I didn't specifically know what rocket was. And like I remember when I, you you used to buy rocket all the time, and I would eat. I'm like, what is like? It's really peppery, or yeah. I, this my my taste buds were just like, what what am I eating? Mm. I don't like this. I love rocket. Yeah, but I've I've grown to really appreciate it. Um, vegetarian sausages. Yeah. I like, see. It's interesting because all of these things that you're saying before becoming vegan, it was part of my upbringing. You know, I'd had tofu from the day that I can remember. I'd had veggie sausages because my dad is vegetarian. That's what I mean. And my mum's 
been vegetarian on and off and mainly pescatarian now but it's just interesting that yeah like I didn't really grow up eating that much meat so that was kind of normal so the switch for me wasn't as difficult but I can imagine if I wasn't in your life it would have been probably a little bit harder for you yeah because I wouldn't have been like my taste buds wouldn't have been aware or I wouldn't have adjusted some of these foods I've got more we haven't talked about that absolutely yeah I've got more I've got more examples okay (laughs) keep going um sauerkraut okay yeah quinoa yeah like I don't know. I just wish we could like. You mean quinoa? Quinoa, yeah. <laughs> I, I just buckwheat and quinoa. When you were bringing this stuff into the house, I'm like, what? What? Uh, like, what's on my plate right now? Um, I still don't like buckwheat. Buckwheat, yeah, I'm not a fan. Unless it's du- like it has to be done perfectly. Um, tamari. Yeah. Was another th- thing, but that that wasn't because it just tastes like soy sauce, so that's okay. Mm. And um, nutritional yeast. I don't know if that's something that was new to you. When we became vegan, yeah, or yeah, can't yeah, I'll look. I'm s- pretty sure probably yeah. something you experimented with just for the health benefits. I'm no, sure, not really. Oh, okay, but though, and these are just about some things off the top of my head. But I'm sure there's plenty more that I just wasn't exposed to. So I think, oh yeah, I really appreciate you being in my life to introduce me to those things. So yeah, when we did switch, it wasn't like it wasn't a huge shock. Because I know a lot of people, even probably listen to this podcast, that probably haven't experienced a lot of these foods. And I think that's half the battle when you're switching over to a plant-based diet. So anyway, I just thought that related well to the whole tasting that you, you, yeah. you mentioned before. But it's interesting because like a lot of those foods are now accessible in the supermarket. Once upon a time, you wouldn't, you could only get them in the health food store. And since bulk food stores have also been introduced there... It's accessible there yeah, too, true. but like if you never went outside of the supermarket, you probably wouldn't have experienced those things. No, you know now you can get everything you need. No, I, we so, I grew up going to major supermarket or the Asian grocer. Yeah, that's it. Whereas for me, it was like we went to the major supermarkets, but a lot of the time it was health food stores and farmers markets. Yeah. So, so thank you again for, for that okay. as well. Because you brought <laughs> thank that you in. again for yeah. entering my life. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's nice to hear. Um, well, which one? I'm I'm trying to like keep it fluid in some ways so that it's not so... You don't have to make it related. Whatever, no. pick something random. Okay. Well, I guess one of them was that when we first became vegan... For a long time, I actually felt uncomfortable that I wasn't like a vegan activist. You know, I felt like right. by being vegan that I had to be out there protesting and doing direct activism to to help the cause. But as time has gone on, I've realized we do our part in different ways. And, you know, like we've talked about this in the past and on the website, you know, you've written a post about it, how to use your talents and to do things in the way that you feel like you can show up in the world yep. to help the animals. You want to be able to play to your strengths. Yeah. Because if, especially if you're an introvert and you don't like confrontation, being an activist isn't actually going to serve the community anyways because you're just going to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So for me, like, you know, our website and what we do has been our form of activism and I 
have slowly let go of that guilt of not showing up to to go out and do protests, to stand up, to, you know, go to slaughterhouses, go to like the Melbourne Cup, which is a horse race here in Australia every year, then do our bit going to animal sanctuaries, even though we've talked about that many times before, but like it all takes time and energy. And I think we're sort of best served doing the things that, yes, we're also passionate about, but that we're good at, you know? And I think that what we're doing with the Minimalist Vegan is spreading the word to lots of people. In our own way, yeah. Yeah, so it's just kind of coming to those terms and feeling okay about it and not feeling like I'm a bad vegan because I'm not going out there and doing these things. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I felt a similar guilt to you and... I think we had Bronwyn and Chris on our show earlier on uh, in one of the early episodes to talk about that, you know, and mm. we, I remember we we discussed some of our apprehensions around getting out there and, and you know, these guys, um, you know, they they, prime, they do a lot of their activism through in-person events and online and but, but it was really fascinating because they're probably even more introverted than us. Yeah. Um, but just hearing them talk about like the type of people that participate in these campaigns and not boisterous extroverted over the top people they're just like really normal people that just want to do their part you know and so i think it's worth acknowledging the work of of these people and and it's not just in veganism it's any cause that mm. uh, matters to you that you fight for i think there's certainly a time and place for it but as you said i think you you know you don't need to feel guilt around not participating because there are other ways to contribute i mean just being vegan is saving animals, is saving animals. Mm. Um, but if you wanted to do something a little bit extra, you, you know, you can write books, you can start some sort of content, you can, you can put it on, t- put slogans on t-shirts, you can do paintings, like there's there's so many other options now, um, which which is really, or really just exciting. just even donating money, you know, Absolutely. like that always helps with animal sanctuaries so that they can continue to do the hard work that they do, like honestly, animal sanctuaries are amazing how selfless they are and how much hard work and effort and dedication they put into what they do and help to educate others as well as to like even just on our last episode how I brought up some quotes from an animal sanctuary that I read some content on social media that actually informed and educated me about the wool industry. But I mean, you you also brought up a good point in terms of how I probably made a little bit of a blank statement in terms of introverts. I forget that it's not always that you have to speak to people. Yes. So even if you are an introvert, you can go there and you don't even have to be known. You can put on a mask. They give you a computer to hold and then the people that do feel comfortable and confident in talking to people are the ones that approach them. So you can still be part of the activism, but you don't have to even be seen really you you're just there to help emotionally and to be part of that team and feel like you're contributing in the way that you want to contribute I think sometimes non-vegans also or vegans as well might seem that as like an aggressive form of activism but I think it's a very important one as well because that's the way that a lot of big change is made in this world right through protests through people standing up for what they believe in and you know even now through this pandemic there's protests left right and center so um, I think that's an important and healthy way for people to speak their mind and and spread the word of things that they believe are unjust in this world nice so what what else have you got 
Well, one thing that I've learned is that, uh, at least in, in my experience, your friends and family will come around. And it's interesting because when I became vegan, I, I felt like I expected there'll be social repercussions for it. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. it's an encapsulating lifestyle that changes how you consume. And that's ultimately going to affect a lot of social situations from food to drinks to clothing to traveling together for holidays. There's so much that ties into that consumption behavior. And even just, not even just consumption, exploitation of animals in general. Like. Yeah, like choosing to not go to the zoo because, you know, even though all your work colleagues are, have organized that event, but stuff like that, right? So in the first couple years, there was definitely some comments towards me about, you know, um, you know, some jokes being made about veganism and how that might be affecting performance in athletics or family scoffing at me because being vegan is making their life a little bit more difficult to prepare food. And, you know, so there was a bit of that going on. But what I realized is over time, particularly probably after year three, year four, like it really started to fade away. And I think the growth of veganism has certainly helped people finding more and more vegans in their lives. Mm. But um, I think on top of that, when I think people close to you see that you're so consistent in in these behaviours. Yeah, they grow that, more respect for you as every year goes on and it's not even a conversation anymore. It's just who you are. So Yeah. And I feel like at the beginning, it's almost like, oh, they'll collapse. Like, you know, it's a there's a little bit of a doubt in their mind, like, oh, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll yeah. cave in and they'll eat eat the meat or eat whatever yeah so yeah there is that testing ground to see and i think as the years go on we've gained much more respect and obviously the more people know us you know they kind of that's part of like our identity and who we are yeah which which is not a point that i write down but is it's also um i suppose it is an extra point that's tied into this one is i also don't want to be known as like the vegan Mm. like you know, Michael O'Fay is much mm. more than just, than a, just vegan. a vegan. Yeah. yeah, and and I think you might feel the same way. And I think sometimes, um, especially being a vegan content creator, you can get lumped into just that box of like you're the vegan. And I think that like as year seven is a really this is really good because I think there's a level of maturity now where it's like veganism is part of our lives it's part of how we act it's part of how we show up in the world for the animals but it doesn't define who we are it's just Mm. one aspect i think it's just interesting though when you meet new people and they you know one of the first questions that you ask each other is also what do you do Mm. and obviously what we do comes up and so that's where it's like that's one of the first interpretations of who we are is like you're a minimalist and you're a vegan. Okay, that's interesting, you know. Yeah. And that sparks a conversation in itself and then you kind of get labeled as something before they've even had the opportunity to really get to know you. Yeah. So I think that sometimes explaining it to people what we do can put up a little bit of a barrier to people. For sure. So it's just interesting to see how much people, you know, they go deeper or it's like the conversation kind of ends there. Them saying, oh, I could never go vegan, (laughs) you know, like, and that actually 
you finished with your point? Can yep. I continue? Yeah, that actually course. brings me sort of into one of the other points is that being vegan in a non-vegan world doesn't really get that much easier in terms of with time. It doesn't make you feel like there's still enough progress being made towards a non-vegan world. Um, and that's, I guess, part of us, you know, there's a few points that I've got about living in your vegan bubble. And so sometimes you feel like you are just surrounded by vegans and like the world is great and whatever. But then as soon as you have these conversations with others face to face and you tell them what you do and, you know, obviously you get those labels within the first few minutes of chatting to someone, but you then, for me, it's kind of like, oh, right. It's like a reminder I still live in a non-vegan world. Yes. And I still have this kind of like perception that things are changing much faster than they actually are. So that's something for me in terms of just having that realization and and accepting that we still live in a non-vegan world and that it doesn't really get that much easier in terms of the feelings that you might get to how many animals are being killed every year and exploited. And um, I mean, this is a bit of a sad, dark point, but just kind of know that you can do what you can do and that's all that you can control, really. Yeah, it's almost like this acceptance of the mass atrocity of exploitation um, second by second that happens around the world towards animals so yeah you're right that part it's not like i feel sadder about it more frustrated about it better about it it's actually been pretty the feeling has been pretty consistent the whole way through to to year seven yeah for me anyway is that Mm. been similar to you yeah um i don't care any less or more about the cause it's Mm. just like it's still there and and the sad truth is it's likely to be there for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And that's one of the major downsides of this lifestyle and of this belief system that I've been told many times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I think it is, it's there for life. I mean, it will get easier and we will probably have more people around us that are either vegetarians, vegans, flexitarians, you know. Yeah. Veg curious, eat more plant-based, but still trillions of animals die each year. Yep. So. I It's interesting. It's like I love data, but it the, the macro numbers on adoption of veganism or vegetarianism globally is something that I tend to shy away from intentionally mm. because – there, there's a fear in me that if I look too close to the data, I hope not, but like you'd hope it's not going backwards. You know what I mean? You'd hope because no. with population growth that there's greater demand for animal products, greater demand for, for activities exploiting animals and, and the numbers are actually going in the opposite direction. Now, I, I, as I said, I haven't looked very close into the data. There's some countries where it is just really exploding like you know the uk for example israel Um, israel yeah but it is it is something that it's pretty confronting to look at right because of that that impact and it kind of just yeah it's like sustainability it's like you know you do everything you can and you you go outside you look around and you see 
you know, everybody's bins filled to the brim. Yeah. Um, and you're like, why, why bother, you know? And, yeah. and, and sometimes... Why do I bother to recycle my soft plastics and separate this and that and compost yeah. and... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really valid point that you have there. Um, anything else you want to say before I go on? No. I mean, that actually ticked off quite a few different points off my list. So Sure. Well, something that's fairly closely related is the um, around this idea of acceptance, accepting where we are in the world, the impact towards animals. It's also this, the further I've gone into veganism, the more I learn, uh, the less I know <laughs> about it in many yeah. ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I think... Well, not the for, less you know, but like the, the more you can learn. The more I can learn, but I also mean in, in challenging veganism too, because I yeah. think, you know, when we first became vegan with not as much knowledge of it, I think we we're definitely a lot more convicted and the black and white. It felt a bit more black and white. Yeah. Um, in terms of the the impact of, of well, I think because being vegan. A lot of vegans go through this phase when they first become vegan, typically they go through this angry vegan stage right they kind of feel it's it's it feels like a big i don't know if burden's the right word but like this sense of yeah this kind of like overwhelm of oh my god i can't believe i didn't know this i can't believe that not everybody in this world knows this and if they know it why aren't they acting on it yeah so you become very passionate very quickly and i mean again for us, it was a very different journey that it can be for other people. And if you go from not being vegan to vegan overnight like we did, I think those emotions come up much stronger and quicker rather than people that do it in a gradual process and probably do it more from a health perspective rather than an ethical perspective. But even from an ethical perspective, if they're doing it in stages, it, you know, it allows them to process mm. the changes at, at a more sustainable rate and i guess it depends on the information that they're consuming you yeah. know for us it was very was very confronting so it it obviously varies from from person to person but i think there is a common thread that a lot of vegans can be very passionate and so they can come across as aggressive well yeah and also convicted like mm. and and sure so sure of themselves and sh- sure of the actions that they're taking and for me it's just shades of gray like yeah. it's more it's not it's yes some of it is about right and wrong but now it's more about this doing better yeah. you know what i mean like it's changed a little bit from it's right or wrong to okay we'll just you know laying out all the options is trying to do a little bit better like that's mm. been the the shift over the years because i think if you can accept opposing views and take the time to look into them you, you realize that there, there are holes you know veganism isn't perfect sustainable living isn't perfect minimalism isn't perfect anything really isn't perfect you know there's going to be holes in in any value that you hold but i think that it, yeah, it's, I don't know, when I look at topics in veganism, it's just way more, I think, willing to challenge my own hypothesis. You know yeah. what I mean? And it leads to conversations like we had in part two of our 
ethics of bee conversation around monoculture and and uh, migratory beekeeping and and the impact of that and how that shifted even how we consume vegetables to an extent and you know realizing that we still have a, a ways to go but without doing our heads in you know what i mean without yeah. stressing about it too much but you know living living on a, an organic vegetable and fruit uh, hobbyist farm to see uh, the farmer going around and killing insects with his thumb you know what i mean to preserve his crops and and birds and, and birds trapping and trapping possums and you know, talking to, to crop growers and, you know, the, the hunting that they put in place to, to again, remove, um, quote, pests, end quote. So it's it's there, like there's there's gaps in it. And I think there's still a long ways to go to, to reduce that impact. But as I said, no value is perfect. We watched a show the other day on on, on SBS talking about the impact of sustainable living and people going and living off-grid. As off-grid as you can imagine, everything is completely self-sufficient. And even in some of those examples, this guy who had been living off-grid for like 30 years is like, even me, look down there in this hole, there's my trash. Mm. I still have an impact. Mm. It's impossible to not have an impact, yeah. right? So... It's it's just, you know, coming to terms with that and accepting that and being being okay with it and just, again, remembering that you're just trying to do your best, but you don't want to use that necessarily as a cop-out to say that I'm yeah. doing my best and not really putting in the effort for, yeah. for convenience. So, so I think that's just been a bit of a journey over the years for me anyway. I think just being a human being on this planet, you yeah. know, you're going to make an impact <laughs> yeah. regardless if you fart once every five years or fart every day. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're still going to make um, an impact. And I think that that can sometimes, you know, not to go completely off topic, that's why some people, one of the reasons that people don't want to have children because they don't want to put more of a burden on our yeah. on our planet. So Yeah, we're very yeah. resource heavy. Heavy, yeah. yeah. So there's... A couple of points that I guess that could tie into that, but not really. But I'll, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter if I, if they mm. need to be, but like this feeling of comfort that I'm getting with just knowing as every year that goes on, veganism is more and more accessible and it's easier to be vegan. Mm. And I think that that's the, the humbling thing and also the thing that brings you a bit of comfort and gives you patience because okay well i might not have access to this right now or i might there might not be a substitute or you know a product that replaces this right now but i know that it probably will be in the future and sometimes you know i'm just so impressed at some of the products that i see that are being made from natural resources i think i saw somewhere that actually don't quote me but i'm pretty sure that i saw someone posting on instagram that now they're making tofu using sunflower seeds right which i thought was really interesting um and you know there's plenty of different products out there that are constantly being made using different ingredients that aren't traditionally yeah made in that way even in even in fashion and and you know we we definitely have to do a leather episode at some point but just the amount of plants that can be turned into leather is incredible 
and it seems to be a new one every couple of months yeah. that they're discovering. So yeah. yeah. No, it's um it does bring me comfort knowing that and I think it's just having the patience because I know that it'll happen sooner or later. And it'll just be it'll be easy. It's like I don't think that I think still mainstream it's like I couldn't be vegan. That's kind of the narrative. But I don't think there's going to be as many people trying to make that argument in the next five to ten years' time because they, they've got nowhere to go because they will be seeing these products on the shelves and they will be able to make a very easy switch and choice. Yeah. So... I suppose it just comes down to whether they feel it's a good enough replacement. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. If it performs as well, if it tastes as good... Yeah. So I think there's always going to be that. But you're right. The options are removing those excuses for at least trying veganism. Yeah. I think that that's a really encouraging and positive change. It's not like it's going in the opposite direction. Then it would feel like every day a little bit of hope was lost. Yep. So, yeah. What's your next point? Well, the next point I want to talk about is eating out or... Oh, I've just sort of thought of another point. Let me just write this down very quickly. But it's 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 fascinating, you know, being, I don't know, I suppose we're foodies. We really enjoy eating food. And before vegan, after is vegan. Is what a foodie is? Someone that just really enjoys eating I th- food? I think so, yes. <laughs> okay. and, um, and I think what I found amusing is just there's some cuisines that just really struggle to be vegan. Like, in seven years of being a vegan and visiting West Coast of America where it's very vegan-friendly, like Portland and Seattle, Los Angeles, Vancouver and Canada, parts of Europe, obviously here in Australia, I'm still yet to come across, and I don't know if you have, vegan-friendly Chinese cuisine. Yeah. What? Chinese food. I'm sure there is. But I haven't seen it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because it's normally like remixed into Thai. Thai yeah, seems no, to that's be... more Asian fusion. Like Thai mm. food, there's an abundance of vegan Thai food available. But Chinese food, if you like, think about it, it's so heavy on egg, like in the fried rice as well, pork or bacon, chicken, beef, shrimp, fish. There's never any vegan options on a Chinese menu. I swear I've seen it before. You haven't. How do you know? Because I... I, Like, it sounds like it would be very easy to make vegan. You would think so. Yeah, because they just substitute that for the soy soy meats like they do with all of the the Thai foods. You would think so. I have not... they do. I have not come across it. Okay. If you're listening and you have a local (laughs) Chinese store that's 100% or Chinese restaurant that's 100% vegan... Let us know. Yeah, I'd love to see an example of this. I want to. I want to see the menu. But I'm I, pretty I have sure not, there's there is. We would have gone in if that was the case. But yeah, I but we not, haven't been everywhere. In I the have world. not had Chinese food <laughs> in seven years. That's what it means. So, <laughs> like, not that I crave it. It's just interesting how I've found that that particular cuisine hasn't but been. But then veganized. you walk into like an Asian grocer, you could easily make your own Chinese food. Okay. Well, so if you want we'll Chinese food, well, you better. But see, I don't find it to be that healthy. Okay. Well, yeah, there's quite a bit of MSG and whatnot in it. But like, yeah, it's... Nah, not there. So I'm going to mention some other cuisines, which I have seen examples. So Italian food, 
just mm-hmm. when we went to Florence, I was like, wow. It was rubbish it, 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 at the time. Yeah, it's while well, it's rough being vegan right now, and where where this was back in 2015. Yeah, and it was like pretty devastating because we're in Italy and we're in Florence, but a big part of the experience is food, and yeah. there just wasn't that many options. So obviously, even, well, there was, but like, well, not many options, but even the options that were there were very underwhelming. Yep. And based on the reviews, I think our expectations were much higher. Yeah, perhaps. But I just think, I mean, we have, there's definitely been some amazing Italian restaurants, particularly one in Sydney and Gigi's is is incredible. And um, obviously it's very easy to recreate Italian food at home. That's vegan. Which I have done many times. You've done many times. But I just think that there seems to be a market hesitation to make like I would have just thought there would be way more Italian options at a restaurant level for vegans out mm. there than there is one word. seven years in what cheese che- I know <laughs> cheese is huge there right but then the third one is Japanese cuisine so it's just I find that like outside of Shizen in San Francisco which is one of the best eating experiences I've ever had which is fully plant-based Japanese food but you mean vegan and, and non-vegan Yes. Experience. Yes. Yeah. Incredible. Um, I think about it often. And you cry about it often. <laughs> <laughs> but but outside of that, like, there's been little pockets of Japanese. Like, it's not a 100% vegan restaurant, you know. It's just Japanese cuisine and they might have a vegan menu. But I just find that, particularly with fish sauce, um, tends to be in a lot of... In, in what they prepare. But again, it's like and Chinese food. There's a lot of different meats and like seafoods and yeah, stuff in Japanese food. True. But you can also go very, very simple. Like Buddhist monks have, they're all vegans. And yeah. that's very traditional to my understanding in some ways, Japanese. But cuisine. again, I'm just talking about accessibility. Yeah. And, and exp- like, so for example, you won't find a shortage of Mexican food. You won't find a shortage of... Turkish food is fairly accessible. Uh, yeah, Thai is fairly accessible. Because Turkish food does tend to lend itself. You know, there is options that are automatically vegan. Yep. Unless for some silly reason they decide to put eggs in their falafels. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you've got plenty of access to burgers and pizza. Like there's, like, there's a lot of that, which is fantastic. But I'm telling you, no Chinese food that I've seen that's vegan. That you can buy out. So that's my rant. Just an observation I've seen. But uh, I'll hand it over to you for the next one. Yeah, and on the topic of food, I find that there's still an unnecessary amount of products that contain animal-based ingredients. For what reason, I do not understand when it can easily be vegan. Like? So, wine. Oh, yeah. Wine, uh, bread. White sugar, if you live in the US, oh, yeah. your sugar is not vegan unless it's organic because they use bone char in the processing. Ridiculous, I know. Mm. Um, juice. What's in juice? Fish bladder. Really? <laughs> yes. In just like your stock standard juice? It out. Oh. Um, mainly apple and orange. Really? Yeah. There you go. I don't remember last time I bought juice on... You know, no. in the supermarket. Yeah, I don't but either. yeah. Again, Marsha's influence in my life. <laughs> don't, <laughs> I don't think juice is allowed in the house. 
Well, no. Um, <laughs> unless you want to freshly squeeze it through your cold press juice. Yeah, but home, even then, even then, I would have definitely, if we were drinking juice, yeah, I would have hundred percent gone and picked up that standard juice yeah. and not know that it wasn't vegan friendly. You think that it's just yeah. fruit, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are just some of the ones that I thought of off the top of my head that can easily be made vegan, yet they choose not to make them vegan in some instances. So that's one of the things that I just sometimes like, I'll go to the shops and I'll look at a product and I'll be like, surely this is vegan, but let me just double check. And I'll look at the, and I always look at the ingredients if I'm not like, if it's not something simple, like a vegetable, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but normally, or unless it says vegan, even though sometimes I've noticed that people have caught out brands labeling their products as vegan and them actually not being completely vegan, even lollies, for instance. Or sriracha. Well, that's because of the sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or Kahlua was the other one. Yeah. When I was make, redoing my tiramisu recipe back in the day, I think was 2018 when I first made the recipe and I used Kahlua but then people were doing some more digging and no one could really come to a conclusive answer to say whether or not it was vegan but then I think someone was saying that they were using the sugar that had the processing done to it which made it non-vegan so therefore they couldn't label it as vegan anymore and nobody knows if it's if they've decided to switch Mm. the sugar over to make the product vegan again. But what I was going to say is that I always check and then sometimes I'm just like, really? Was that a necessary ingredient to add? Even chocolates that used to be vegan. This is why I check. A lot of the time I still check because I've been caught out. There was a dark chocolate that I used to buy and then maybe a year or two after they started putting whole milk solids into it Mm. without it's unnecessary you know like it's not like their product was like it was a good product before that Mm. so it's always important to check and it sounds like it's it's important to continuously check yeah to make (laughs) sure that they that they haven't changed their product yeah Unless it's like a vegan company and you know that they will never do that, you know. Yeah. Um, but even in like vegan grocery stores, there's been a couple of times where I've gone in there expecting everything to be vegan and still checking labels. And I've had to alert them to say, look, this isn't vegan. And they'd profusely apologize and everything. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are human and they do make mistakes. So I think just make sure that you do read your labels and even little things like numbers, you know, Mm. I think it's 904. That's crushed up bugs, insects, Mm. which is for like a shellac, which is like a coating on the outside of particularly used that I know when I was working in retail um, in a bulk store where we had dark chocolate strawberries and they'd use this coating on them, which then made them non-vegan. But Mm. they could easily do it because they had other chocolates in that same brand that didn't use it. Mm. That still had a nice shiny outside, but that used, I think, a different... I think it was a particular type of berry. I can't remember. But in saying that, don't assume that all numbers and additives are also not animal-derived. Sometimes even the ingredient 
natural flavorings as well because that's like a cluster ingredient that can mean a whole range of things you've got to be mindful of that one as well so without overwhelming our listeners (laughs) um maybe you should write a blog post on this like things change so much yeah that's true that it's like i'd rather it leave it to people because there are websites that specialize in this we'll link to one in the show notes that's really good for numbers in particular the ones that catch you off guard but they do have whole lists of ingredients that are vegan that are non-vegan so that you can easily search their website. Mm. We'll definitely link to that one so that you can check. Yeah, that'll be really valuable. Yeah. Okay. So what's your next one? All right. So next one is around health. And I'm sure we've touched on this at some point. But I think that in the back of my mind, self-talk, I thought there would be a, a nice positive side effect of veganism that would result in better health. And, and certainly, I feel like going plant-based has health benefits without question, but not as what's potentially advertised to like online in- influencers. We talked about this in episode 13, does being vegan automatically make you healthy? But, you know, in terms of just having whiter teeth and better nails and better skin and fat loss and all of this stuff that can sometimes be promoted as a result of going vegan at least wasn't something that we experienced and I think it's becoming clearer in terms of healthy eating is healthy eating regardless of whether you're vegan or not Mm. and you need to do your own research and reverse engineer the needs of your own body to be able to get the optimum Uh, nutrients for yourself so I think that the very idea of just being vegan is not necessarily gonna solve those problems you need to do your own digging within the plant-based world to figure out what that looks like so that was a bit of an eye-opener for me that's progressively become clearer over the years whether it's macro micronutrient analysis and calories and stuff that you just you need to still apply those principles, but to a plant-based diet. But I think you've got to make an important distinction here that people that do see the health benefits of a vegan diet is when they go from eating really poorly, like processed foods, not even just junk food, but like, well, that is, I guess you would classify that in some ways as junk, but eating a lot of um, white foods, not having much fruits and vegetables, Mm nuts and seeds legumes like a lot of people don't eat much of that when they're not vegan yep and then if they transition from that to a whole food plant-based diet of course they're going to feel much better of course they might be able to go off some of the medications and i think that's what they sell it to you as when they're trying to pitch it from a health perspective but i think sometimes some of that gets lost in the transition for some people and especially when they're making junk food veganism much more accessible and once upon a time if you were becoming vegan it was like an automated thing that you would be healthy right I'd say maybe 20 years ago because you wouldn't have all of the convenience of fast convenience food, yeah. of fast food of the countless different Ice creams, chocolates, lollies, you wouldn't have... Plant-based ice cream is insane. (laughs) Domino's vegan pizza, they're nailing it. Yeah. They are. So it's 
But you're right. It's like that convenience Processed wasn't... Processed foods is just was not a thing. Yeah, so you'd be it. eating mainly what I just said, like nuts, seeds, lentils, grains, vegetables, tofu, tempeh, yeah. you know, like, okay, even the veggie sausages that I ate 20... 25 years ago when I was little in Europe, they tasted very similar to what you get now, but I'm sure that the ingredients weren't as bad as they are now. Yeah. Some of them. Some of them, yeah. Um, They're not all bad. So I think it's just making that distinction as to why veganism isn't necessarily um, the healthiest diet. So it goes back to the... I think it goes back to the point you previously made about how vegan foods are more accessible yeah so on one side of the spectrum like purely to become vegan it's never been easier and it's only going to continue to get easier but then on top of that the, the, the things that which are being made accessible and more convenient are not necessarily the healthiest options yeah so there's there's two dynamics there yeah it, it sort of pulls on both sides mm. <laughs> but um that, that was my point anyway about this, the health observation and, and what that journey might look like and having the right expectations. So I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. So my second last point, since we're talking about health, is realizing as I get older that it's not getting, and the longer that I'm vegan, it's not getting any easier talking to health professionals that aren't vegan themselves or that don't necessarily advocate for the vegan lifestyle because... There's been time and time again where I've been told you would feel so much better if you just ate a little bit of red meat or if you just ate some eggs or if you just ate fish. And it's kind of getting old and it's kind of getting quite annoying to be told that. And I find that as a little bit of disrespect when you've gone to them for help, yet their only solution is what you put in your mouth. Or the solution is what they're used to in their comfort zone. Yeah, that's not. There doesn't seem to be as much of a willingness, to get, a willingness yeah. to to think outside the box and look for some options, Alternative. alternatives. Yeah. yeah, and then meanwhile, there's a lack of plant-based or vegan health professionals, especially locally. So there's that issue too. So yeah, that's been something that's kind of been a bit frustrating and you know like if I wasn't so strong in my beliefs I probably would have started eating these products years ago if it was for my health you Mm. know like as they say to to help you feel better and whatever and I know that some people I'll say it some people need some of those things and I might be one of them in all honesty but I just I couldn't do it Yep. And I think it's like when it gets to a point where your client is saying no and it feels immorally wrong to them to do that, then you need to be able to work around them and find an alternative rather yeah. than saying, well, if you don't do it, I don't know how to help you. Yeah, but it's also, it's not really um, a black and white that it is the solution either because yeah. at the same time, I, I know looking at your health journey, a lot of the things you felt today or a lot of the things you felt prior to being vegan as well. I just think obviously health is a very personal and touchy subject for a lot of people. And I can, I can hear listeners saying that, well, you know, you've got to put your health first and, you know, uh, that should be a priority. But um, I think what's disappointing is just probably the lack of effort 
in the absence of there being vegan health professionals um, from non-vegan health professionals. So I think it's and it's understandable. People are just going to default and go back to their comfort zone and what they know to be true to work. And I don't think there's any incentive to go back and, and relearn or acquire new education, um, especially when you're a veteran and you've been in your career for a long time to, you know, sort of adapt and change to some maybe some new evidence has come out as well. So well, it it's depends just, on the individual. Some people like to keep up to date and, yeah. you know, it really comes down to their personal attitude about diet and the research that they're willing to do to help their clients because they're just going to get more and more vegans, to be yeah. honest, Yeah. as time goes on. But obviously there's – I've worked through – my health in many other areas so right now i'm probably the healthiest that i've ever been in my life yep well prior to to the year of 2000 you know yeah yeah. i feel like i'm tackling my health at many different levels that has been helping me and where i'm feeling like i'm getting on top of it now pretty well so yeah for sure anything else you have in that arena I mean, yeah, I think this kind of ties into that reflecting on the last seven years of veganism and particularly early on compared to now. I'm definitely more comfortable in the conflict and people challenging veganism. Obviously, in the example that you've had, it, it's in the, in the realm of health. But just generally speaking, when, you know, earlier on, I think when people would challenge veganism, uh, there would be a lot of emotion in me and... I would interpret it as an attack as opposed to somebody being curious. But I think um, obviously you just become more experienced and you learn more and you become a lot more secure, I suppose, in your decision and the different areas of, of why you do what you do. I'm way more comfortable engaging in those conversations. And I always feel like I try to be positive and open. That's that's never, but I think early on internally it was like, oh, you know, I, like I put a lot of pressure on myself or did I answer that the best that I could or mm. like, you know, did I represent the animals or I didn't have an answer for that or, you know what I mean? Mm. Now it's like, I don't care as much, one, but two, there's more knowledge that helps, but it's more just like, it's just a much more fluid conversation now. It's, well, I it's find more... myself much better armed and I'm like, in some ways, I almost sometimes say to myself internally, like, throw anything at me you know like show me what you got because i pretty much have an answer to most people's questions or concerns or whatever it is right based on everything that we've learned in the last seven years you know so it's actually really interesting to see what people ask Mm. and um and sometimes you know it's actually really important to help them understand certain things because they might have been thinking one thing that's actually wrong for a really long time especially when it comes to byproducts or the honey industry or the wool industry you know like there's a lot of areas where people don't it's not as black and white as like there's a piece of meat on my table and that's an animal that was killed for me to eat there's a lot of other areas that they might not be aware of or that have been carrying a false reality Pre- yeah, or preconceived idea yeah yeah so absolutely yeah, no, I, I, that's interesting how you feel that way. I don't, I certainly, um, I just still don't welcome it. I don't really welcome it, but I understand that it's an opportunity to to have a discussion. 
but I, I, I think I'm just more curious more than anything. Not what the arguments are, but what, what do people believe? Like, I've met people who don't, who don't like, care much for animals, who, who have said that, like, you know, like, it, it's just not, I just don't feel like I have that connection. But in any case, I hope that's a natural progression for a lot of people who are new to veganism and, and maybe, um, you know, experience some level of social anxiety, even if it's not obvious, but internally, and, and just know that over time, the longer you are vegan, the more comfortable you'll get in those situations. And, um, and the more you'll learn, so the more that you'll you learn, actually yeah. have more conviction and confidence in what you're saying. Yeah. And rather less... than just guessing like, oh, am I saying the right thing here? Or am I actually making it worse by guessing, you know? Yeah, that's true. And also to put less pressure on yourself. But... Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely one thing I've noticed. Mm. I've got one last point. Okay. Around, we touched on it before, kind of, fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not getting any easier. It's actually harder than I expected it to be to find sustainable, vegan-friendly fashion. We've talked about this multiple mm. times mm. before and I want to specifically, look, I'll make a distinction, right? It's relatively easy to find it online. It's not so easy to find it in person. There's still a lot of mainstream stores that use animal products, that use synthetic products, that make clothes that don't last, e.g. fast fashion. And so it's really difficult when you need something if you want to try it on first And don't have to go to the effort of then having to ship it back because I know that lots of online stores and I know that that's that's the way that the future is heading, right? But I feel like there'll always be people that will want to try things on. We are one of those. Mm. Well, we are those people, not we are one. (laughs) Um, And so it makes it much more difficult unless like I'm finding it a little bit easier in certain areas because, you know, like I've measured myself like my hips my waist my bust so that I know where I fit into with their sizing chart but even then and we're both slightly oddly shaped humans you Mm. know like I'm tall and I have broad shoulders and so it makes it sometimes harder for things like jeans to find the right Mm. fit that have the right length you just want to try things on without having that full commitment of having to buy them Mm. This is where I guess secondhand clothing comes in handy because you can shop in a more sustainable way, but you can't always get what you need. It's Mm. kind of like luck of the draw. Mm. Um, So that's something that I've really struggled with over the years is finding things that I need that I can buy in physical stores locally. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There's definitely a inconvenience (laughs) with that i mean it's it's interesting like people always ask me it's like oh it was was it hard to go vegan and and i'm like no it it wasn't hard to go vegan but it's like it's inconvenient at times Mm. you know there's no but cravings, it's not even veganism but, but it's not in terms of like clothing it's just even sustainable fashion no that's true yeah but or ethical yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's it's certainly sustainable fashion, but even with food, it's like again, it's there's not much cravings like I talked about before, but it's just you find yourself reading more labels, you know. Yeah. Or in this instance of fashion, there's definitely options, but they either quite expensive or they're not readily available at a local level, at least in our markets and where we live. So you just got to work harder. I think is ultimately what it comes down to to get some of these things and and it can be discouraging you know like I'm ready to upgrade my wardrobe at the moment and it's like on one hand I'm like oh there's all these new things that are like these sneakers that I found that are equivalent to um, Adidas three stripes or those Nike air shoes it's like oh wow finally Someone has made an alternative that looks like that same type of shoe. But it's like, uh, you know. They don't at have least my size. They don't have my size and, you know, all of that business. So it's like, uh, it's just another step. And there's even suit jackets that I wanted. But finding a vegan-friendly suit jacket is not so hard. I mean, it's possible. But then finding something that's sustainable as well and then measured to spec. Well, now all of a sudden it gets put in a too hard basket. You know what I mean? So there's definitely those moments that still exist today that you would have thought, you would hope that it would have got easier. So I think that's a very valid point you've made. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. Have you got anything else? I've just got add? one more to wrap it up. The last point I have, and it relates to a lack of sustainable, ethical, local fashion, is business in general. Like, it is so... It's devastating to see any business fail, Mm. but it's particularly painful to watch a vegan entrepreneur come into your local market, establish a business, them not get quite the traction that they need to be around long enough and then to close. Yeah. And we've seen it a few times now. Yeah. The longer we've become, and we're going to continue to see it because it's the nature of business. But the lesson here is that even as a minimalist, there's almost an argument an obligation without pressure and only if you have the means to do so to support these businesses do you know what i mean particularly if they're local and the tasmanians coming out of me now yeah i feel like i can call myself a tasmanian (laughs) but there's a big big thing i think so but you got to support local and and i think even if you don't like the product or you like their offerings maybe give them the feedback yeah so Uh, so they they can improve they can improve And hopefully adjust so they can continue to get more customers and stick around. Because there have been some really great businesses that we've grown to love and they've shut down. And and there's, okay, there's a personal effect because you no longer have access to that good. Then it hurts the brand of your local market because now there's less vegan options available. So with people who are traveling in or people who are considering moving to your local economy... Um, or even locals or locals as as well local non-vegans to shop for vegans or Mm. to go to restaurants with vegans or to buy gifts for vegans like or even if they're planning to transition to a vegan lifestyle to know that there is options for them absolutely yeah like business is a huge part of the growth in veganism so i i just think the lesson there is i always feel better when i've made the decision like when we have supported a local vegan business. Mm. This has helped them keep the lights on yeah, and, and hopefully get somewhere. So um, I think that's the lesson is like until you experience it and you, you see them go, 
it's just like nah this can't happen like we've got to help and support them so that's that's On where that I left note, let's it. go out for time yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sounds good to me um so if if we do finally get that local ethical fashion store mm. you know we, we just got to do what we I can I think honestly every city needs like a third estate like you find in London yeah where you can just feel comfortable and confident knowing whatever you're buying in that store, you're supporting the right things. And there's and good stuff. It's good quality. It's going to last you a long time. Again, not everybody can afford it, but I think if we, I think if you really broke down and saw what you were spending your money on and wanted to invest in things that are going to last you, you would probably be able to do it. Yeah. So I think they should franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. And look, and if, if, if you don't like their stuff again, just speak up and try and help them however you can. You know, one thing I need to do a better job at is leaving reviews on Happy Cow. Yeah. Like, yes, because that helps the next person decide if that's the right place for them. So, anyway, this has been good. Yeah. Yeah, it's been nice. Cool. I feel like I feel better now that we've done this reflection. Mm. Uh, so, <laughs> you feel like you've... <laughs> yeah. It's added way more meaning to the last seven years yeah. and not that we needed extra motivation, but it puts things into perspective to continue this journey and and see where it takes us, like see what happens. And, you know, maybe we will start to see some positive statistics about some shifts about that exploitation because at if the end of the day... Lo- if we actually look yeah, at them. Yeah, if we look, <laughs> that's it. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, that's that's why we're doing it. It's not actually about us. It would be so much easier not to be vegan. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think people forget that a lot of the time when you're vegan, it's much more of a thing that you do for other beings than you do for yourself. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Nope, that's it. That's it. Cool. Well, thank you so much for tuning into our podcast episode and we'll be back here again in another fortnight. Yeah, so you can find the show notes over at theminimalistvegan.com slash 067. Yes. And uh, yeah, thanks thanks for coming along on our journey. How many hours have we recorded now that you just said 67? That would be hundreds of hours worth of Probably, talking. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Thanks again, guys, and we'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.